Welcome back to another mini-episode of First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers. I'm Tim McMinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. We're both biblical scholars as well as preachers, and our goal is to give you some resources to feel equipped, confident, and ecstatic about preaching from the Old Testament. Next week, next week, we are dropping the first of our long-form episodes This time with expert guest, Dr. Vanessa Lovelace, into the podcast feed. In the meantime, this is one more Antipasto Platter episode with five minutes on this week's lectionary text. How many more of those have you got, Tim? (laughs) All right, all right. Well, we got Joshua this week, right? Uh, What do you got going on, Tim? Yes, the lectionary text this week is Joshua 5, verses 9 through 12. And uh, if, if you haven't read it in a while, this is the time to pause the podcast, go give it a read, and come back. And uh, when you're back with us, we will dive in. So, we're back. <laughs> <laughs> Ta-da! Let me say a quick prayer, and then we'll dive into the text. Great. Thank you, God, for these words. We ask that you would show us how to read them, to be able to hear your voice and what they say. Help us to preach them faithfully and to live them out in a way that honors you. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, the text this week, as you discovered when you read it, is pretty brief. Tiny, tiny. Yeah, yeah. The, The Hebrew itself is more or less straightforward. Joshua 5 is near the beginning of the book. It's before, you know, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. It's it's before <laughs> the conquest of the land, but it's after, just after crossing at long last into the land itself. So, uh one interesting linguistic thing happens here though, and that's that there's one of those uh quirky etiological place name etymologies in this passage, uh, a little story to explain how a place got its name. And so here we're finding out how the town of Gilgal got its name. These uh, pop up quite a bit in uh, these early narratives in, in the Bible, and they're not always necessarily historically sound as far as how <laughs> these places actually got their names. <laughs> Uh, and, and sometimes it's, it's not even intended to be re- really be taken historically as much as it is it's making like a, a rhetorical connection between a place and an idea. I, I like that. It, it kind of reminds me of like family lore, like the story about Great Uncle Joe, which may or may not have actually happened, but somehow comes to symbolize something about the family so that it gets told at every single Thanksgiving meeting or something. Yep. So that's, that's probably what we have going on here with Gilgal. Uh, it was, the, the town of Gilgal, a significant religious site in early Israel. The book of Joshua reports it as the first place that the people of Israel camped after they entered into the promised land, which marked the end of the great exodus. Mm. Uh, the previous chapter, Joshua 4, tells of the, the building of a monument, 12 standing stones, one for each tribe, that they set up at Gilgal, to mark the crossing of the Jordan River and the fulfillment of God's promise to bring the people through the wilderness. 
And so in verse 9, the first verse in our lectionary text, the name of the town is connected to God's proclamation that God had rolled away the disgrace or reproach of Egypt on that day. The verb rolled away, galoti, shares a Hebrew root, uh, galal, with the name of the town, Gilgal, which means circle or wheel. I got to thinking about what the text might have meant by, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt, which is kind of an odd thing to say at that moment. <laughs> the disgrace of Egypt, that Hebrew word, cherpa. Did you have any insights into that, that my, word? My sense of the word is that it uh, is talking about the way that surrounding mm -hmm. communities would have looked at the people of Israel. In this context, it's probably talking about um, something that came up uh, in the book of Numbers where uh, as the people were sort of complaining to Moses about coming out into the wilderness and not having what they needed, they, they said, you know, the, the Egyptians are going to look at us and laugh at us and they're going to laugh at you, God. They're going to say, you brought them all out there just to die in the wilderness. What a shame. What a shame. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's the, the herpa. Mm -hmm. That's the sense of disgrace or reproach in the eyes of the surrounding peoples. Mm -hmm. And uh, now that they were actually in the land, uh, it, it, proved, it proved all the naysayers wrong. Mm -hmm. All the haters were in the wrong, and uh, <laughs> the herpas the has been rolled away because they, are, they had made it. They were there, and mm -hmm. God had done it. Interestingly, while, while that verse begins the lectionary excerpt, it's actually summing up what came before. Mm. This divine proclamation comes on the heels of a mass circumcision ceremony that also happens at Gilgal. The circumcisions were necessary, we're told earlier, because most of the men in the company had been born during that 40 years of living in the wilderness and hadn't been circumcised as their fathers had been in Egypt before the Exodus. Mm. So the circumcision of a whole generation of Israelite men upon entry into the land of promise marked the final passing of the former generation and the renewal of this new generation's covenant with God. So in that context, God's rolling away the reproach of Egypt is a way to say that the, the lingering question of whether God would actually deposit the Israelites in the land of promise or whether God would bring them into the wilderness only to let them die there of starvation, that question uh, was finally answered and answered decisively. God had indeed brought them into the land, and a whole new generation was poised to claim it from the Canaanites. Mm -hmm. Their ceremonial circumcisions marked a new beginning for a new generation. The last vestiges of their connection to slavery in Egypt were cut off, and their shame of that was rolled away. Not only were they circumcised, we read in our text today, but the people, men and women this time, also observed the Passover ritual and the Passover mm -hmm. meal, a remembrance of that first night of God's deliverance in Egypt. Now they're celebrating it on the last evening of that whole epoch, on the west side of the Jordan River, in the land. Mm -hmm. So their deliverance has come full circle to pun on the name Gilgal again. Mm -hmm. The day after Passover, the daily provision of manna ceases, and from then on the people ate the crops of Canaan. So this really is a turning point in the whole story, a pivot from the old era in Egypt in the wilderness to the new era that's taking place in the land. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I think that's really the heart of the passage, and I would uh, counsel you preachers to bring that out in your sermon. Mm -hmm. I took a look at the rest of the lectionary text for this day, and they all share the theme of the forgiveness of sins. And I bet, if I had to guess, that this passage was included because of that phrase, I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt, interpreting the reproach of Egypt to be some sort of guilt for sin or or, or something like that that God is rolling away in an act of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I'd actually watch out for that as a potential preaching pitfall. Mm-hmm. Because given the context of, of covenant renewal and the fulfillment of God's own promise to deliver Israel and lead them to the land, I think the, the theme of forgiveness, um, while important, might be a bit of a stretch uh, mm-hmm. for this passage. If I were preaching this text... I would probably focus in on the transition it represents from one era of the community story with God to the next. Mm. So if your church happens to be in a season of transition, like a transition of leadership or a generational shift or a shift in location or whatever, this could be a great text to see yourselves in, renewing your commitment to covenant with God and receiving God's provision, the the produce of the land, so to speak, Mm -hmm. in a a new season. If you were, um, I mean, this is a preaching podcast, but, you know, say you were were talking about some of these themes with with a a session or your elders or or the leadership team at your church, this could also open up a conversation about, like, what are the what are the symbols or rituals or, or ways that we communicate belonging and inclusion to all of our members, including those who are kind of coming into their own as, as participants and leaders? It could also be a, a, a really hopeful text if your congregation is still metaphorically present in a wilderness of some sort, just as God was indeed faithful to bring Israel into the land, rolling away the reproach of Egypt. God will also be faithful to your community to, to, to bring us all into the fulfillment of God's promises for us. So those are a couple preaching angles I might suggest for this text. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's probably enough on Joshua for this week. So why don't we uh, wrap it up there? Uh, thanks to you all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful to you. And we're really looking forward to our episode next week with Dr. Lovelace. Absolutely. Thanks for your work on this, Tim. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast feed. And if you want to see more of what we've got going on with First Reading, uh, if you want to learn more about our guests or give us some feedback, head on over to firstreadingpodcast.com. Until next week, thanks for listening and happy preaching. Happy preaching.